to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right. Good morning. Good morning, church. We today um, have come to the very last message in, in our study of the book of John. And I, I kind of teased you with that a couple weeks ago because we were finishing up chapter 20, which, which definitely is a conclusion point for the book of John, and then we were going to have an epilogue uh, to, to follow. But this is the end of the end, the, the end of the epilogue. We have been looking at Jesus for the last about year and a half as we've gone through this gospel. And today we get to see how the, the epilogue ends because there's a few things after John kind of concludes his book in chapter 20. There's a few things that he wanted to, to clear up. And then he wanted to talk about how now to apply apply what, what we've been looking at as we've gone through this whole book together. So um, I, I suppose the thought is by the time you get to the end of chapter 20, you're supposed to believe in Jesus and you're supposed to believe that he's alive and hear that testimony and by believing have life in his name. That's the end of chapter 20. And then in chapter 21, this, this ending of, of, of how to go forward, how now to live as, as believers in Jesus. So um, we, we've done this in two parts. And last week we hit part one, the first 14 verses or so in the epilogue. And in that bit we saw that the disciples were waiting for Jesus and they, they go out on the boat and they're, they're, they, they decide to fish. At least seven of them do. And there's this guy on the shore that uh, tells them to put their nets on the other side. We know it's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. And they do. They switch the, the nets to the right side of the boat. There is no right side of the boat, but we're not going to argue with what's going on here. Uh, there's a port and a starboard. But anyways, they, they, they switch it to the other side, and then they, they end up catching 153 large fish. Uh, they, John is the first to realize, connect the dots, that this isn't just somebody over there, that this is the Lord, this is Jesus. Peter hears that it's Jesus, jump, grabs his robe, jumps into, robe, I don't know, his, his garment, jumps in, swims to shore, and Jesus there has a charcoal fire. And we've talked about the significance of the charcoal fire. It's mentioned twice in the Bible. Once when Peter is denying Jesus, and now as Jesus is going to be restoring Peter. Did I say the words right? I'm getting a little bit excited here. Uh, but he, yeah, so there's this two, two moments. Peter denied Jesus around charcoal fire, and then now Jesus has intentionally set up this restoration moment around a charcoal fire. So I've said that before, and, and P Peter's about to be commissioned now into his, his life calling, his life calling. So that's where we're going to pick up today. But before we pick up right there, starting in verse 15, I'm going to mention it now so that you can, you can spot it when we read it in the passage through, uh, as we get near the end today. There's a, there's a bit of a problem in the church, or at least a danger moment in the early church, that John feels like he needs to correct before he dies. Because there is an expectation, at least among some people, a, a significant enough to include it here, uh, where there is an expectation that Jesus is going to return, yes, uh, but there is an expectation that Jesus was going to return and that he said he was going to return before John dies. So that kind of needs to be corrected here because, as you can imagine, if somebody is expecting Jesus to return before a certain moment and they believe Jesus has said that he's going to return before a certain moment and that doesn't happen... It can lead to a serious faith crash. Jesus, you said this was going to happen. Now, I, can't, I don't know if I can believe anything. So John realizes he's super old at this point. He's outlived a disciple or two or all of them by a decade or two. 
He's outlived them all. And, and so people are kind of looking at John. Okay, John's getting pretty old. Jesus is going to return before he dies. It's got to be close. So John needs to kind of correct that, um, that, that issue there before. So he's going to clarify that kind of stuff. But the main focus uh, of this, this passage is the calling that all believers have. All believers have not just to believe in Jesus, not just to believe that he's alive, crucified, risen from the dead, but also to follow him, to actually follow him and follow his, his path for your life. So we're going to see that as Peter gets restored and, and reinstated, but also uh, it, it applies to us as we are also called to follow, to follow Jesus. All right. If you have your Bibles, I'm in John chapter 21. The very end of the book of John. And we're going to just pick up here in verse 15. They have just eaten breakfast. In fact, that's how it starts in, in verse 15 here. John 21, verse 15. The words are on the screen. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he'd asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said to him. Jesus said, oh, pause there for a moment. One crucial question for you this morning. Do you Love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? There's, there's no greater question that Jesus has for you this morning, uh, you who believe Jesus is alive, at least, than do you really, actually, actually, really, really, truly believe, or do you actually love Jesus? Do you actually love Jesus, like really love Jesus? And, and just like Peter, we say, yes, 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 yes. Clearly, that's the right answer in this moment, right? So we, we, we know the right answer. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. And yet again, Jesus asked, do you love him? Do you love him? And this is obviously connected to the reinstating of Peter. Right? Peter denied Jesus three times, and now he's being asked if he, if he loves Jesus three times. And, you know, if I asked you three times, do you love Jesus? You'd be like, yes, yes. And I'd be like, do you, do you? And you'd be like, yes. There's three, questions, there's three comments I want to make about this, this, this bit here of the passage before moving on. Three things to note. Um, you don't have to write them down, but three things to note. First of all, in this passage, Jesus calls Peter Simon. Simon, son of John. He doesn't call him Cephas or, or Peter. That's the name that Jesus had given him. Uh, you're going to be called Cephas or Peter. But here he goes back to his birth name, Simon, son of John. And I don't think there's any insult going on here. Think of it as, okay, Peter, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning when I first called you. When I called you, you were a fisherman named Simon. And, and I called you from there. And here we are again. 
calling you, a fisherman named Simon, to, to, to follow me. And, and I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but I want to say that many times Jesus brings us back or reminds us, takes us back a step before we go forward a bunch. Sometimes he just takes us back a step before we go on forward. And think of this as, as Jesus inviting Peter into a, a new beginning, a, a, a big step forward, a, a new beginning, a do-over a bit, a let's try this again, but back to go forward. Now, Peter has experienced, Peter's experienced some brokenness over the last bit of time. You know, he's, he's been hurt. He's, 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 he's failed in the sense. He's, he's, um, he's denied Jesus. And, and a few days earlier, he said, Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life for you. In fact, the morning he denies him, I'm, I would lay down my life for you. The afternoon, the evening, he said that before he denies him. I will lay down my life for you, but, but he's, he's been humbled. He's, he's been humbled. And Peter gets reinstated here. As he gets reinstated, he, has to, he gets to confront realistically his failures before he gets to lead the church forward. And it's not a, it's not a shame thing. It's a reinstatement thing. It's a reinstatement thing. Being humbled by our failures and, 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 and lightly, gently reminded is huge for us to become who God calls us to become. So we don't get, get full of ourselves or abusive as, as, as leaders. Peter knows this, and he writes this later in 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. He says, he says this to other people after experiencing himself. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in the proper time. Or in due time. And, and it's okay to, to be humbled a bit and be reminded uh, uh, as we're humbled that we don't want to be shamed or, or broken by it. But that, that idea of being humbled as we, we confront our, the honesty of, of where we're at. And then God was ready to lift us up in the proper time. We see that happening here with Peter in this reinstatement moment. Three denials, three do you love me. That's the first comment. The second comment is probably only to about for half of you here. For half of you, I want to make a comment on the Greek words for love here. And I want to do that because I, I've heard lots of preachers talking about it, and maybe you have too. And I want to bring some clarification because uh, I think some clarification is needed. There are two Greek words for love in this passage. One of them is agapao, which is the Greek word for agape, as, as people would pronounce it here. And then the other one is phileo. Now, it is traditionally thought of that Agapao means like superpower love, you know, like uh, unconditional, perfect, perfect, perfect love, uh, agapao. And then there's the thought that phileo means like standards, like normal love, like brotherly love, brotherly, brotherly love, sisterly love, just kind of general love. I want you to know that there's a huge amount of overlap in these words. They mean love. That's why it's translated love, right? They mean love. There is, a, there is a bit of the words that, that, that don't overlap, but when you're using these words, sometimes it means the bit that doesn't overlap, but very commonly it just means love. And so when you're looking at this passage, you're looking at the context, what is being communicated, and what, I'm argue, what, I'm, what, what I see very clearly as I've gone through this is that it's, Jesus isn't, there's not a difference going on between, okay, superpower love word and then like brotherly kindness love. They're being used to mean the same thing. There's no insult. There's nothing weird going on here. Let me just show you what, what's happening here just to make it simple. Jesus says to Peter, do you agapao me? Peter replies, yes, I phileo you. Jesus says, do you agapao me? You know that I phileo you. 
Do you phileo me? You know everything. You know that I phileo you. Okay, that's, that's, how it, that's how it reads. I mean, we just, we just see it, uh, it's translated love, and that's, that's the right way to translate it. But there is no hint, there's no hint in Peter's responses that he's trying to downgrade what Jesus is saying the, with the love answer. In fact, Peter's being really emphatic. Do you, do you, you, you know that I love you, Jesus. You know. Here in this passage, these words are just being used interchangeably. And that's a good example of not using, focusing on the differences of words that are different in a passage, but looking into the context makes it clear that they're just meaning the same thing. There's no insult thing. We do this in English. They do this in Greek. Um, Jesus says, do you agapao me? Do you agapao me? Do you phileo me? It's not like he's saying, do you superpower love me? Do you superpower love me? Do you at least kind of like me? <laughs> that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. It, it, it's, it, it's, we do this in English. Um, you say something once, you say it twice, and then on the third time it changes a little bit. You know, you're amazing. You're amazing. Oh, that's how an American would say. Uh, you, yeah, hey, good work. I guess it may be. No, you're amazing. You're amazing. That, you did great. It's not insulting to say you're, you did great instead of amazing. That's, not, that's, not, that's just how communication works. We often change it on the third time. That's uh, kind of what's going on here. The simple message is, is this message, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is emphatically saying, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. If you want to reconnect with Jesus, maybe you've been off a bit. Maybe you've been off a bit. The question that Jesus wants to begin with is, friend, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Well, here Peter says yes. And Jesus responds saying, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. If you love me, Jesus said in chapter 14 of the book of John, you will do what I command you. Jesus and the author of John, they want to make sure that we know what, what, what it is to really love Jesus. It's more than just having warm, fuzzy feelings uh, about Jesus. Loving Jesus means I do what he wants me to do because I love him. Peter, do you love me? Then do this. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then do this. Shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then, then do this. Then feed, feed my sheep. Uh, I, my Bible read-through group is in, we did 1 John. Uh, one of the, we're in that section there. And in 1 John, same author, same John, uh, he makes it as clear as, as can possibly be in 1 John, connecting doing what God wants us to do and what it is to love God. And he says this in chapter 5 of 1 John. He says this, he says, for this is what love for God is. I'm just going to say that again. For this is what love for God is. To keep his commands. There's the doing connected with, with this idea of loving God. So when I ask you the question, do you love Jesus? Yes, look at your heart. Look at your heart. Yes, how do you feel towards Jesus? Um, but more than that, not instead of, but also, you need to look at your life. Do, do, do I love God like with my life, with, with the choices? Am I doing what Jesus wants done? Yes, I love Jesus, but, but six days a week, I'm a total hypocrite at work, living nothing like a godly person at work. 
Yes, I love Jesus, but the choices I make and sin and compromise and, and, and just to not live pure, it says otherwise. When Jesus says, do you love me? Your life either shows it one way or another. Does it show that, yes, you love him, or does it show that, that you don't? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That's the question that, that Peter's being asked here. Now, that's not where it ends. Jesus keeps talking, and we continue to read this starting in, in verse 18. And Jesus says, I assure you, when you were young, you would, belt, you would tie your belt uh, and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this, writes John, to signify by what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, Peter, follow me. Follow me. And that's the call. That's the call that Jesus offers to all of us. Follow me. Follow me. This is the call Jesus gave Peter. You follow me. That's the same call Jesus is calling you at today. You follow me. And what does that look like? Well, let's think about Peter for a second. Remember, remember Peter? Remember how like you, you lived boldly and you got out of the boat. There was a storm going on. You got out of the boat and you started walking on water. And, and then remember, remember how you, you, you took your eyes off me? And you started to stink, yeah, sink, a stink, yeah, sink, uh, uh, both probably. Uh, and remember how that was kind of funny, but um, I reached out and I grabbed you. But the thing is, you, you, you took your eyes off me. Following me means you keep your eyes on me in the storms. You just, you keep going. You keep on looking at me. Not, not just when it's easier or when it's, when it's cool, but when all of a sudden it gets scary. You keep, you keep looking at me. That's what it's like to follow me. Or Peter, remember that time? Remember that time when you didn't like what I was saying, and you didn't like this this chat about me me dying, and and, and you kind of pulled me aside to tell me tell me off about this. You didn't like God's plan for my life, and 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 remember that time I said, "Get behind me, Satan." <laughs> that was pretty fun, huh? Uh, no, you remember that where I said that to you because you didn't have in mind the things of God, but the things that you wanted. And following me means that you keep as your priorities are the things that I want, even if they're kind of different than the things that you want. Or when, I, when you hear them, you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's the future I, I like. Following me means that you, you trust me with the future plans, whether, whether you, you like them or not, and, and not being upset when it conflicts with your own hopes and your own dreams. Following Jesus is about living a godly and holy life, saying yes to purity, saying no to greed, things like that. It's about doing whatever Jesus wants. Whenever he wants it done, whatever the cost. And, and, and our calling is to follow Jesus, just whatever the cost. As we see here, as we see in this passage here, the cost can be high. Jesus tells Peter in this passage that if he follows Jesus... If he does what Jesus wants, if he follows Jesus with his life, he's going to be crucified. That's, that's going to be the end result. That if he follows Jesus, he's going to die in the most torturous way known to man at that time, death by crucifixion. That is the, that's going to be your path. Peter, if you follow me, and if you do what I'm asking you to do, 
If you feed my sheep, when you're old, they're going to crucify you. Are you willing to walk this path? Friends, Jesus, he, he calls us to follow him. And we think, okay, great. That, that, that's great. Yay, it's Jesus. Let, let's do this. Let's, but, but I keep getting surprised at how many people don't expect their faith to cost them. That they don't expect things to be difficult. They don't expect things to be disappointing. Or, or even in this case, you know, Peter being crucified. Not just dying, but, but being crucified. If you set your life to following Jesus, expect it to cost you. Expect there to be a cost. In Peter's case, dying by crucifixion, maybe God's going to call you to give up success or give up a relationship or he's going to call you to, to, to give up finances or, or whatever. Maybe he's going to ask you to leave your, your home, your home country. I, I, he did for me. I don't know what your cost is going to be, but I know your calling. I know what your calling is. Jesus says to you, Follow me. Follow me. It's going to cost you, but follow me anyways. And that, that can be heavy stuff, this calling of Peter's to, to come, come and die. And that, that's not everybody's path. That's not everybody's road, but it's Peter's. And I, and I tell you the truth, some people's calling to follow Jesus is much, much, much more painful than other people's calling to follow Jesus. Some people have to pay much higher of a cost when following Jesus than others. It's not even. It's not even. It's, it's not fair. We don't get to know or decide our costs that Jesus is going to ask us to pay. We don't get that choice. We get the choice of do we follow or do we not follow, but we don't get to know the choice and the cost that Jesus is going to ask. And so when we say yes to following Jesus, it's just wide open, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. In fact, as we keep reading, Peter, he, he's thinking about his own cost, and then he asks Jesus about John, John, and, and, and the cost that John's going to have to pay. And this is what we read in, in verse 20. It says this, So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. That disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Uh, we know this is John by now. We, we've, we've been doing this study for a long time. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Okay, I, I hear, I'm going to be Christian. What about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the report spread to the brothers that this disciple, John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? That's the bit about the clarifying there. But the thing I want to highlight at this moment is how Peter hears that he's going to die from crucifixion. But then he wants to know about John. And Jesus is like, don't worry about other people. Don't worry about the cost that they're paying or what their sacrifices that they're making or the sacrifices that they're not making. If your road is harder than their road, more difficult, more painful than their road or less painful, don't worry about that. Don't worry about any of that. You, you just focus on your calling, which is to follow me. In fact, Jesus says, he says uh, um, 
what is that to you? As for you, follow me. And so just a reminder here, don't care or compare your calling and costs with anybody else. Don't care or compare your calling and costs with anybody else. Don't do it. But Lord, I have to suffer, and they don't have to suffer at all. In fact, I'm suffering, and they're being blessed, and they've got all this favor, and, and, and it's just going great for them, and, and I'm suffering. They get to keep it all and more. You're asking me to give it all up. I'm sick. They're healthy. Whatever, whatever the case may be. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following you with all my heart, and it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. I'm following you, and in Peter's case, it leads me to a shortened life by decades compared to John. I'm going to be killed on a cross, whereas, whereas other people get to live much longer and keep talking about Jesus. It's just not fair. Okay, friends, okay, so life is not fair. I hope that's not a newsflash. Uh, don't compare, don't compare you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You follow him. And I don't care what your brother or your sister are doing. Your call to follow Jesus is unique. Your call to follow Jesus is unique, and it's between you and Jesus. It's about you following Jesus on this unique road. It's not about comparing other people's paths, other people's roads, other people's callings and costs. You just focus on Jesus and follow him. Your path has its own challenges. It's going to have its own challenges. It's going to have its own sacrifices. It's going to have its own pain, its own obstacles. But it's also going to have its own rewards. It's also going to have its own high points. It's also going to have its own victories, the victories that are only on your path. But you have to walk it, paying whatever costs, following Jesus to enjoy those victories, those high points, those rewards. Finally, the book ends with these words, the book of John. This, this is the disciple, John, who testified to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. And as I've, I've said from the beginning, John has been extremely intentional about his selection of the stories. Um, these, the, he chose seven signs, seven particularly powerful signs or particularly meaning-filled signs that we've read about through the book of John. He also had seven moments where Jesus declares great I am statements, like I am the light of the world or I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he had seven other moments where Jesus just makes I am statements without the analogy or without the other piece, and he just says, I am. Hey, go, hey, me. We've talked about this um, throughout, throughout this study. Every story selected Every story handpicked to help us to believe that Jesus wasn't just amazing, but he was God. With God, was God, with God in the beginning. Verse 1 of the book of John. And that this, this, this Jesus was crucified, and that he really did rise from the dead, and that he placed an invitation before you, an invitation before you, a unique path set before you. Different than everyone else's. Different rewards, different costs, unique to you. But that path starts with a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And if so, 
follow him. Follow him by, by following him on that custom path built for you with custom costs and custom victories. And don't be confused. It's not about you doing your own unique thing, marching to your own drummer. It's not your drummer. You're, you're marching to, to Jesus' directives. And you're saying to Jesus, I will follow whatever your path is for me. Whatever your costs are for me, I will follow whatever the cost. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, how are you doing at loving him? Not just loving him with your heart, although that's, a, that's an important question. Now, how does my heart feel about Jesus? But also, how is your life at loving Jesus? Are you distracted by a storm or the waves and are you kind of taking your eyes off Jesus in the, in the hard moments here? Or are you feeling like Jesus is, is asking you to give up more than other people's and you're feeling a little bit upset about that? Jesus, my road is too difficult. My, this path is too hard. I, I, it's not fair that I have to suffer while they're all, I'm following you with all my heart and my, and my path seems more difficult. Are you fighting God on that? If you've not given your life to Jesus, what sits before you is a great invitation. It's like Jesus is standing before you today and say, do you love me? Follow me. Follow me. You can trust me. Follow me. I'll forgive you. I will give you new life, a new beginning, and eternal life with God. And I'll lead you on the good way, the good path that you've been made for with its own custom victories. If you've not given your life to Jesus, I'll give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. But for now, I've got three challenges for us as a church. Ch challenge number one is this. Do you love Jesus? What are three things that show you do and three things that challenge that idea? If you can think of three things that challenge that idea. Secondly, again, commit your life to following Jesus any time, any place, any cost. Jesus, again, I have been following you with this commitment. Again today, I, I make that commitment again to you today. Or I, I haven't really followed you with that commitment, but today I, I make that commitment. And thirdly, if you feel your path following Jesus is particularly difficult right now, share with your Bible read-through group this week and let them pray for you. Let them pray for strength and endurance and perseverance in God's rescue. Remember, Peter was sinking, and Jesus reached out his hand quickly and rescued him. And he does that. He does that for us when we're sinking as well, as we call out to him.